Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the last talk in our summer series, uh, tough questions, life-changing answers. And I think I've got a tough one. It's what happens when I die? And to be honest with you, it's not something I think about very often. Maybe I'm just too caught up with the busyness of life and I'm distracted by everything going on. It's not something I think about very often. And in my experience working in the city, I get the sense that most of the people I've ever worked with barely think about it either. Or if they do think about it, it's when death comes a little bit too close, maybe through the loss of a loved one that's really painful or through a personal health scare, something like that that suddenly sits you bolt upright 
and you're reminded that death is real. But for most of the time, I would say that myself and the people I've worked with in the city don't think about this question very much. There's a general trend towards this question of reactiveness or a passive approach to it. We only think about it when it pops up in our lives, a lack of engagement, which struck me as interesting given what this postcode is known for globally and what it has been known for for the last, well, over 300 years. This is the insurance hub where we spend all sorts of time and energy trying to predict any number of things that are going to happen in the future so we can provide insurance products that help people and businesses get back on their feet when things go wrong. And yet we don't seem to give much thought to our personal eternal destiny, which struck me as interesting. So I asked the question, why? Why is that, that there's this big question we're dealing with today that many of us don't think about very often? I think there are two reasons. I think the first is that deep down we know it's such a big problem that it's easier to ignore it. A few years ago, I was in the office and um, a colleague came up to me and it was a quiet moment. There was no one else around. And he said to me quietly, Um, Ali, I don't know what I make of uh, Jesus and the Bible, but I am scared of dying. He's very honest of him. And then last week, uh, doing the rounds on social media, I think I read it on LinkedIn. This person who wrote this, I don't think is a Christian as far as I know, um, but it sounds like it could be written because it, it is exactly the same sentiment that's in one of the Psalms. It's Psalm 103 that says that you and I are like flowers and we flourish for a short time while we're living. And it's great being a flourishing flower. It's really fun being a flourishing flower. But it doesn't last for long and then the wind blows over and the bits of the flower get blown away and nobody ever knows that that flower was, was there. Here's what this social media post says. In a hundred years, like in 2123, we will all be buried with our relatives and friends. Strangers will live in our homes we fought so hard to build, and they will own everything we have today. All our possessions will be unknown and unborn, including the car we spent a fortune on, and will probably be scrap, preferably in the hands of an unknown collector. Our descendants will hardly know who or where we are, nor will they remember us. How many of us know our grandfather's father? After we die, we'll be remembered for a few more years. Then we are just a portrait on someone's bookshelf. And a few years later, our history, photos and deeds appear, disappear into history's oblivion. We won't even be memories. You're sort of scrolling through LinkedIn and you read that and you take your eyes off the spreadsheet. You think, how on earth am I going to make sense of that without just descending into a nihilistic aimlessness in all of my life? So you ignore it and carry on with the spreadsheet. It's just easier. But the other answers that our society has to this question, what happens when I die, or just the problem of death, I find equally unsatisfying. One of them is to hide it behind surgical curtains. We're very, very good at that. And we use language like, he or she has passed away. Another is to trivialize it or make jokes about death, saying, oh, it's just part of life. It's a natural process. I'm not scared of dying. But then many of us will have been to funerals and then noticed how people start to say these sentences like they're looking down on us now with a smile. Deep conviction people say that sort of thing. He's now one of the stars in the sky. They'll live on forever in our memories. Nice metaphors, but I often find when the emotion fades, so does the conviction. And we find that we don't really believe those things. We just use them to help us process. 
So I don't find those a satisfying answer to the problem of death or to this question, what happens when I die? For what I have found in my life to be the only satisfying answer available on planet Earth, we need to allow John to take us to the year 33 AD, two miles east of Jerusalem in this town called Bethany, where a crowd gathered to mourn the death of a young man called Lazarus. And we'll see some of the detail of what happened. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that. But I just want to give us straight up to begin with the answer that Jesus has when he's speaking to Martha. And it's in verses 25 and 26. Can we just look down at those? Here's the answer to our question. What happens when I die? Verse 25, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's immediately refreshing for me. There's no metaphor. There's no hiding behind anything. It's a straight up answer. And so now what we have to do is consider the detail of what happened here, what Jesus' promise actually means, and then whether we can believe it. And if we can believe it, then it's brilliant. It's a proper answer to our question. It's a tough question, but it would be a life-changing answer for all of us if what Jesus says is true. And as we look at some of the detail of what happened, I'd just like us to see two things. The first thing is that death separates. And Jesus agrees that death is a big problem. We'll see that death separates... And then secondly, that Jesus saves. He provides a real solution that's on offer today. So firstly then, death separates. And it is the separation that makes death so painful. I think that's what is so painful about death. We see that um, from verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Uh, Verse 33, the word that John uses for Jesus' emotion is really strong. It's uh, similar to anger. It's the sort of word that you might use for a snorting horse. Jesus isn't just sad at the death of Lazarus, he's angry. Now, modern psychologists tell us that that's one of the five stages of grief. Jesus is angry. He's outraged at the death of Lazarus. He's indignant. He's angry at death. And maybe we felt like that when we've lost someone and you're grieving. There is anger. We're angry at death. It feels like something must have gone wrong with the world that this could have happened. Maybe we're angry at God. How has this happened? Something is wrong with the world. And the Bible would agree with us. Jesus agrees with us. Something is wrong with the world. Because the Bible says that God made the world without death. Where humans lived with him with the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And everything was all right. And there was no death. And there was perfect relationship between God who created humans and humans who who were created by him. It was the blueprint of the universe. It's the place we all deep down want to be in. But then humans decided they were better off without God. And the Bible calls that sin. And the penalty for sin, according to the Bible, is death, which explains why death entered the world. It wasn't supposed to be there. And so we see why Jesus didn't just pat Martha and Mary on the shoulder and say, don't worry, death is just a part of life. You'll get over it. Jesus is angry. And we can be too. We can be angry at death. It is not the way the world is supposed to be. So when we feel that, that is a good feeling. 
Death is wrong. It should not be here. And it's sad. It's bad like that because it separates. And I think it separates in two ways. It separates physically from each other. When people die, we can't interact with them anymore. Mary and Martha can't talk to their brother. Jesus can't talk to, her, to his friend. Now, I've lost family members. I bet most of us have. That's the deeply sad things that you'd do anything just to be able to have another conversation. You just want to speak to them again. But you can't because death separates physically. But then there's the other separation that Jesus speaks of, which is the spiritual separation. And our culture would probably cancel Jesus for what he says about the spiritual separation. But here's what he said back in John chapter 3. If you want to look it up later, John 3.36, he said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. According to a poll last year, 41% of Brits believe in uh, heaven. 26% of Brits uh, believe in hell, which I thought was interesting. And according to Jesus, they are real. There is a real spiritual separation. And for me, that really raises the stakes that we get a clear answer to this question this lunchtime. It really raises the stakes. It can't be, uh, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it sort of question. I need a clear answer. So death separates physically and spiritually. It's wrong. And then secondly, here's the second thing I want us to see from the story of Lazarus, is that Jesus saves. From verse 33 to 44, it's just wonderful. Should we read that again? From verse 38, sorry, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and lifted up his eye. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet unbound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. John wants us to be in no doubt that Lazarus was really dead. He says there's an odour. Um, in the old King James Version, it says, uh, Lord, by this time he stinketh, which I prefer to what we have. But it definitely dead. There's no doubt about that. John wants us to be in no doubt. And Jesus wants us to be in no doubt that it's not some trick, which is why he says this public prayer, so that we would know that it's actually God's power at work to bend biology and physics to his will and cause Lazarus's cold heart to start beating again and his lungs to inhale air again. It's not some trick. If this happened, it's a proper miracle. Jesus wants us to be clear on that. So Jesus saves Lazarus from death. He resurrected him. Brilliant, but it's not quite a good enough answer for us today this lunchtime. I'm not satisfied with that answer yet because I don't just want to be given a second go when I die. Say, if I, if I die in my 80s, if I'm lucky, I don't want to be just resuscitated for a bit to see if I can go for any longer. 
Lazarus died eventually, otherwise we could go and meet him today. We could have invited him here to give this talk instead of me, but we can't because he died again. And then secondly, Jesus doesn't promise here to do this for us or our loved ones, just to give us a second go and revive us, even though we really might want that if we've lost dear loved ones recently. Jesus doesn't promise that. But I think the answer is way, way better than that, what Jesus is actually offering us here. He is offering to save us from those two aspects of the separation of death forever, both the physical and the spiritual. Jesus fixes both of them. And that's what he says in his uh, promise to Martha in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So Jesus fixes both the physical and the spiritual separation. Physical in that it will be a physical resurrection after my di- after I die. Not some spiritual ethereal state that I have to waft around in. A physical resurrection. Um, whenever I drive past a cemetery, I just, I'm always reminded that cemetery comes from the Greek sleeping place. I think it's a good name for it. For Jesus, a, a dead person is like someone having a nap. He could just wake us up. He fixes the physical separation and then fixes the spiritual separation in that this life after death that Jesus offers restores things to how it was like with that tree of life in the Garden of Eden where humans are back in relationship with God. And the uninvited intruder, death, that was never supposed to be in the world is booted out forever. So the physical and the spiritual separation are dealt with. And I think for me, that's a good enough answer. That explains the answer to this question, what happens when I die? Jesus will wake me up and say, unbind him and let him go, and I'll be forever with God. But maybe the lawyers and the philosophers in the room have identified one final logical problem with that answer, which is, what gives Jesus the right to take me and to put me back with God, given how I treat God every day? And that's not great for me either, because I might not be certain that God will actually accept me back into his presence when I die. How do I know? I don't have time to spend too long on this, but we get the beginnings of the answer back in verse 6. We look at just verse 6. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going there again. The episode where Jesus raises Lazarus happens while he's en route to Jerusalem. And he goes there on purpose to be nailed to a cross to pay the punishment for how I treat God. And then three days later, he rose again, but he never died. It was a different resurrection resurrection to that of Lazarus. When Jesus rose again, he proved to us that he beat death forever. And therefore, if I have forgiveness from Jesus through his death, I can be absolutely sure that when I die, if I trust Jesus, I'll be welcomed into God's presence forever in his physical world. And for me, that is a satisfying answer to the question, what happens when I die? 
I just want to leave us with the direct question that Jesus asks to uh, Martha at the end of verse 26. Only four words. We don't like direct questions like this, but it's there. Do you believe this? (laughs) It might be a good thing to ask each other afterwards if we want to. Or maybe to compare how your answer might be similar or different to Martha's answer, because she gives it in verse 27. I'm going to lead us in a short prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you don't leave us guessing what happens when we die, but you tell us so clearly and plainly. And we ask you that you would help us to come to terms with what this means. Amen.